to be a little bit shorter today. Short and sweet. Come and see what God has done. Don't you love that? And you have to dive into his word. You have to kind of get into it. Thank you, praise team, for leading us. Um, it is really a remarkable story, the Christmas story. It is the Christmas story, by the way. And we're going to go to Luke chapter 1 here in just a moment if you want to find that. Well, good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. It's good to see all of you. Excited about this morning. Excited about having Sean and Kelly and Abigail and Joshua with us today. Uh, they made it in from Fort Collins, Colorado yesterday. Drove straight through, and that included smattering of a deer on the interstate. So uh, they got some stuff underneath the vehicle they need to remove. I'll just not go into more detail than that. But uh, amazingly, the vehicle wasn't damaged. So that's, that's really a remarkable thing. So, uh, you know, you got to have something exciting on the way. You know, it's just too boring just to go down the interstate. You have to run over a deer. So, um, but they, they were the second vehicle to run over the deer. They just saw this car go airborne in front of them, and they went airborne right after that. So kind of bump, 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 bump. You, it's a terrible feeling. Uh, I'm bringing it all back to you, aren't I? Uh, boy, the, I want to say something. Brad said something about the, the children's. I just love to watch them. And I think probably we had two of the best people to be Joseph and Mary. And uh, I wish they could give out our autographs. They might could scribble something down between the two of them. But uh, they, they just took over. They, they were the stars. Um, and Tuesday night, I don't know if we mentioned this or not, but at 6 o'clock we have our Christmas Eve candlelight communion service, and it is always, always a special time. It's one of the neatest things that we started years ago on Christmas Eve, and um, it's not in place of a Christmas Eve mass, but it's close. How's that? We have some of the same elements. Here we are three days away from Christmas, and I'm going to just zero it in on uh, Luke chapter 1. You know, there's two, two Gospels that record the birth of Jesus. Matthew records it in chapter 1, uh, right after he gives a genealogy. And then and he just really kind of gives this brief description of the birth of Jesus. <clears throat> Doesn't go into much detail at all. He goes into more detail in chapter 2 when the Magi, the wise men, show up with gifts. And uh, they show up when he's probably around two years of age. And um, it's not a stable, it's a house. They go in there and they present him all these gifts. And, of course, Matthew records Herod's uh, passion to kill the child when he realizes that the uh, wise men left without giving him a clue. And so they take whatever they can and head off to Egypt to get away from that danger. And that's Matthew's account. But you have to go to Dr. Luke, and I think... You know, when God inspired these people to write the Bible, he did not change their personalities. And, you know, Brenda has been a transcriptionist for uh, doctors, and if she can understand them, she'll type out what they're supposed to go in their record. And sometimes I think she just guessed what was supposed to go in the record. Um, I guess. I'm not saying that legitimately. I'm just wondering. But uh, 
they, they're so they're just about detail, right? And Luke goes into all these details, and he begins in chapter one, not with the birth of Christ, but the birth of another child. And it's this story about Zachariah and Elizabeth. I'm not going to read that. We're going to start reading around verse 26 here in just a moment. But here's th this is part of the story. The, the, these two stories are linked because they are not just connected family-wise um, in the chapter 1. They're related. Elizabeth and Mary are cousins that we know they're related in some way. That cousin could be a, a loose-fitting term, but they are related. So uh, here's Zechariah. He's an elderly priest. He belongs to the, uh, the group under Abijah's. They had different groups that took on responsibilities, and it was Abijah's group that was in charge of tending to the holy place. And by lot, it, I guess that's where you get the word lottery. They, they cast lots, and it was Zachariah. It's a big honor to go in and put incense on the altar of incense. And this is what Zechariah was doing, and his wife and family members I guess they were outside praying. It says that they were outside praying. I don't think maybe they were in danger of him being killed while he was in there, but there was that idea that if something goes wrong, he might not come out alive. But they were out there praying, and while he's putting incense on this altar of incense, an angel appears to him and calls him by name right off the bat, Zechariah, you and your wife Elizabeth. And he starts telling them, that they're going to have a child. Now, they're past childbearing. They're like Abraham and Sarah. They, they're elderly. They're past having children. So Zechariah is just kind of uh, scared out of his mind, according to what it, it, it seems like when he's describing it. It just frightens him. It frightened me if an angel came to me and started telling me all that too. But Zechariah is listening to all of this, and he's telling me, you're going to have, you and Elizabeth's going to have a son. You should name him John, and he's going to be a great, Men of God, a great prophet, he's going to be like Elijah, and there's going to be such an anointing on his life, he's going to be an agent of restoration and reconciliation, and, and there's, it's just going to be a great, he's going to have a great ministry. And Zechariah's like, I, I, don't, I don't understand all of this, how's that all going to happen? And it's at this point, I, I love this because the story of Gabriel and them or Gabriel and Zechariah is so different from Gabriel and Mary that we're going to get to. It's at this point that Gabriel introduces himself. He hasn't told him who he is. It's only after Zechariah said, well, you know, how's that going to happen? And he says, I'm Gabriel. Now, you know, anytime someone starts giving out their credentials and their name, you know that it's not going well. <laughs> he said, here I am, I'm appearing to you, you know I'm... I'm I know you, I called you by name, I called your wife by name, you, you know that I'm on target here, you haven't had a child and you're going to have a child. And, and he tells him, I stand in the presence of God. Isn't it interesting that he kind of qualifies what he does? Why do you think he used that kind of description? I think it's because all of heaven has been ready for this moment. He said, well, it's for the moment... Of, of Mary giving birth to Jesus in chapter 2 of Luke. But no, this, this, is, this is the wheels are being set in motion for Jesus to arrive. And it starts with that visitation of Gabriel 
in the holy place of the temple at the altar of incense talking to a priest and says, you're going to have a child. And then he tells him, says, because you didn't believe this, you're not going to be able to talk until that baby's born. And so Zechariah comes out, he's motioning, and they say, well, he's seen something. We don't know what he said. We can't make out what he's trying to do. And I just wonder what, how he communicated at some point to Elizabeth, this is what they were told us, you're going to get pregnant and have a baby. And we don't know what her reaction was, but this is where Luke picks it up in verse 26. He connects what is going on with Mary to Elizabeth's pregnancy. Look at it in verse 26 if you're there. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. See, he's linking. Luke is linking the two things. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And that's really all the description we have of her. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Now, whatever your, bull your bulletin or handout has in the back, that's an outline, but I'm not going to follow it like that. I, I might be all over the place. So you just scribble wherever you want to scribble. You know, draw, do something on it. But here, here's, here's the three, three things here. There was an appointed lady, appointed young woman named Mary that was going to be right at the center of this. There was an appointed time and there was an appointed place of all places, Nazareth. Of all places at this time of Roman occupation of the Middle East, including Israel. And it was right at this time. All of this was ordered by the Lord. Now, here's some significant details about Mary in these opening words. She's probably, most people guess she's anywhere from 14, 13 to 15 years of age. And the reason why they, they married, probably you can think of it, the reason why they usually married their, their daughters off early is to reduce the number of people around the table. It makes sense, doesn't it? And it wasn't that long ago in American culture that a lot of our great-grandmothers were married off about the same time. When it's the Great Depression, it's like, and in this culture, she was only probably about 15 years of age. So here's a 15-year-old young lady having this visitation in Nazareth. And if you look it up, Nazareth had about, it's estimated Nazareth had about 400 people in that village. Think about the globe, the globe that's spinning around the sun in our constellation and how you zero in on a continent, on a nation, on a town, a person that heaven visits two different people six months apart about something that's going to change humanity's existence in history. Isn't that amazing? 
that he chooses a, a young lady from a town of 400 people in a mountainous region. Now, Nazareth is not like that today. If you look at Nazareth today, it is the largest Arab. It's, a, it's totally an Arab city, and it, and it has about 83,000 people in it. It's the largest Arab. It's kind of interesting. Here's the, here's the town that the birth of the Savior, Jewish Messiah, who had come into the world to save the world in a town of about 400. Now there's only Arab people in that, in that little town. It's not a little town anymore. It's a pretty good-sized city. So the angel's greeting is like, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And he has yet to say anything about the purpose of his visit. He just like greets her. And this is kind of interesting because it says here that she was greatly troubled at his words and wondered inside her mind. She was reasoning inside her mind at the greeting this might be. I think probably she didn't have many people to show up suddenly and say, Greetings, you're highly favored among all people. The Lord is with you. It doesn't say that she said anything, but it said that she was obviously in a bewilderment about what kind of, it's almost as like he came from a different world, which he did come from a different world, and said something to her that she wasn't used to saying. It's kind of like when I was in Cuba recently, and we was in this beautiful hotel, Hotel National, and it is just historic. And... It's lit up at night, and I walked out the front of this hotel, and uh, it's just interesting. It's, Cuba is so interesting. And there was this convertible old car that they use as taxis. And as I was going past, I was going to go out, take a picture, because I'm the picture taker. I took all the videos of Jingle Bell running around everybody else yesterday at the men's. So I was going to take a picture. I was going to get way off and take a picture of this beautiful hotel lit up at night. And as I go by this taxi and the guy that's kind of hawking the use of his a convertible old car, old American car, as I go by him, he says, hola. And in my best effort to sound Hispanic or Cuban, whatever you want, I say, hola, like that. And in perfect English, he says, where are you from? <laughs> Obviously not here. And he, I said, Alabama. So now he's walking with me. So I go with you. And I'm walking. I said, I'm going to go out here and take a picture. I'm going to turn around and take a picture. Oh, i show you where to buy water. I'll show you where to. Don't buy water in that place, the hotel. It costs you $3. I'll take you to where you can buy water for 50 cents. i take you there. I said, no, you're not. I didn't say, no, you're not taking me there. I, it's at 9 o'clock at night. You're not taking me anywhere. And I says, I will. I will sh you can point down to where you're. Uh, well, I need to take you. I said, no, I'm going to take the picture, and I'm going back. And I started back, and he's walking along with me the whole way. All intrigued that I'm from Alabama. I'm out of, I'm out of his context. And it's almost like Mary looks at this man. I guess he... Maybe she knew it was an angel. I don't know how he appeared to her, but she's looking at him and she's wondering, why is he greeting me this way? Like, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And it was kind of like 
this was not norm for her. This is whatever his appearance was, even the way he was talking to her. I doubt if many people showed up in front of her ever and said, the Lord is with you. You are highly favored. And so he responds to telling her, don't be afraid. He knows something's going on inside her by the way she, she hasn't said a word, but she's wondering, what is this about? And he says, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Mary hasn't said a word. And, I, and the difference here is with Zechariah, Gabriel calls Zechariah by his name and Elizabeth. And the first thing he says to them, and he doesn't say Mary's name until she's bewildered by this greeting. And look at what he says. Don't be afraid, Mary. Don't be afraid, Mary. Yes, we know your name. You've been chosen. This is not a random visit. You've been identified. I'm here to tell you that the Lord is with you and he thinks highly of you. You have found favor with God. And what is about to happen to Mary is going to change not only her life, but our lives. It changed everything that happened from this point on, the rippling effect of what was going on in that meeting. So here comes the message. Gabriel hasn't told her what's, what, what's in her, what's in plans for her. He just says, the Lord is with you. You have favor with God. Listen to verse 31. And I'm going to the King James here because it's, there's something about this I want to reference as we go through it. Here's, here's his message to her. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, shall be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be? Obviously, her response was different than how Zacharias says, how's that going to happen? How shall this be, seeing that I know not a man? She's referencing her virginity here. And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now, when you look in verse 31 through the end of verse 33, there's seven times the angel said the word shall or shout. You shall conceive. You shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great. He shall be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give unto him, shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom shall have no end. Notice that these are not maybes. These are things that's etched in reality. All of these will happen, Mary. This is not a maybe. There's not a maybe even hinted. This is going to happen you will conceive, and everything about his birth is set from heaven. It's going to happen. 
There's not an if about it. This is going to happen. God has put his hand like never before on a human being to do something that really is the grand miracle of all of this. That's what C.S. Lewis calls the incarnation of the Son of God in the womb of a virgin. It is the grandest of all miracles. It is, a, it is hard to understand how that happened. There's, it just kind of boggles your mind that the Son of God, eternally preexistent before all matter, before any of the universe was created. In fact, John 1, that Brad references, says that without him, nothing was made that was made. He made all things. The Son of God had his hand on creation, just like the Father and the Holy Spirit. They were the, a, a, the creating agent of all things. And how the preexistent, eternal Son of God left heaven and descended all the way into the womb of a virgin, it boggles the mind. And yet here's what he's saying to her. This is going to happen and, it's, and her question was, how is this going to happen? Because I know not a man, her virginity. You see, conception takes place between a man and a woman. And I know that's not a shock to anybody here. But we live in a day and time of identity politics that we need to maybe say that, that this is the way life begins, is between a man and a woman. Hello? This is how, birth, this is how life starts. And she is hearing all of this, that she's going to have a child. She's going to give birth. He's, he's going to be called the son of God. I mean, that's the last thing Daniel says, uh, Gabriel says to her. He's going to be called the son of God. And she's thinking, but I, don't, I haven't had a relationship with a man. I, I'm a virgin. She didn't say that, but she said it in the way she put it. She says, I don't, I don't know a man. I've never had a intimacy with a man at all. How is this going to happen? And Gabriel described it as this is going to be a supernatural thing that God does just by the glory of God that's going to overshadow you. It's kind of like the Holy Spirit that brooded over the face of the deep in Genesis 1. And out of disorder came order. He said the same agency of creation is going to hover over you. And it's just going to happen within your womb. And I want to tell you something. One of the things that Matthew does write about is that the virginity of Mary is so central to the conception and birth of Jesus that Matthew records that her and Joseph did not consummate their marital vows until after the birth of Jesus. That not only was she a virgin when she conceived, she was a virgin when she gave birth. And it's not that she was perfect or holy, it's that she was ready to be God's agent. She was flawed, I mean, and, you know, years later, or not years later, but not, at, not long after this happened, she went and visited Elizabeth, and this is recorded. I'm telling you, Luke chapter 1 is 80 verses long. You better be ready to do some reading. And if you want to memorize that, go for it. But she goes and visits Elizabeth, and all of this excitement happens within both of them. And one of the things Mary says in that all generations are going to call me blessed. And this is what, this, she wasn't prophesying that she's going to be worshipped like some people worship her. Or the Immaculate Conception is really taught that for Mary to have Jesus, then Mary had to be born without sin. And therefore Mary is without sin. And that's not that at all. 
she's flawed. Like she was at the cross when Jesus died, and she was in the upper room, and people were filled with the Holy Spirit. She, she was just like other believers. She reached out to him. She had to trust him, trust his salvation. And yet, why do you think she was declaring, all generations at this point on are going to determine that I'm what? Blessed. I think what she's thinking, like, who am I? I'm just a kid here in Nazareth, this little dinky village that, if you don't think that it was insignificant, just listen to what Nathaniel said. When they said, hey, we think we got the Messiah here. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. Has anything ever good come out of Nazareth? And then when they bring Nathaniel to Jesus to meet him, He's not impressed at all with him. Until Jesus says about him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. Isn't it interesting that Nathaniel wasn't at all impressed with Jesus, but he was impressed with Nathaniel. <laughs> and Nathaniel wasn't impressed with him until Jesus pronounces, This is an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. And basically he said, I don't think we've met. I don't think you know me. So how do you describe me that way? He says, oh, before you came over here, I saw you under the tree when all of this was going on, when you were told about me. And Nathaniel, Nathaniel, Nathaniel just wait, Nathaniel flips the switch. Now he's impressed with Jesus. And he said, he, did, he didn't say, and he said, oh, you're the son of God. And he says, you, you say that because I just knew you were having a conversation underneath the trees. I said, you're going to see greater things than this. What I'm saying to you, and last week, I think we had a discussion around the coffee. The coffee bar is a great place to have theological discussions, especially before Sunday school when it's just like a few of us out there, including Caroline. She's, she's really a joy to just throw out theological so the whole, whole point last Sunday was, wonder how tall Jesus was. <laughs> I, heard, I heard a message this week that said Jesus weighed about eight pounds when he was born. And, uh, and it was Jack Hayford that said it. He says, well, he could have been eight pounds. I don't know if he was eight pounds or not. Don't go out here and say, I, I said he weighed eight pounds. He said he could have weighed eight pounds. But the discussion out there was, I wonder how tall Jesus was. And when I was asked that, you know what my answer was? I said, I think he was around five foot six or something like that. Well, no, no, he's, uh, that's not the way the pictures are. He's really tall, handsome. He's taller than the other, all the other apostles. He's the tallest of all the 13. He stands out, right? He's like King Saul. No, I said, you know, he's probably about five foot six because there's a little verse in Isaiah 53 that says that there is no beauty in him that we should desire him. There's nothing in his outward appearance was not that that would impress anybody. And wouldn't that kind of fit for all the runts that are in this place that just can't be big enough to play sports, fast enough to run, uh, all the giftedness that we might think you're supposed to have, it's like Jesus came in without the fanfare of his personal appearance. And isn't it 
fitting that a little lady, a 15-year-old girl in an insignificant village of Nazareth brings in the Son of God. This is what's going on here. I want you to look in verse 36. Oh, we're doing good. Man, I can just kind of go back and preach all of this all over with. We've got all kind of time. And then see here, here's, what, here's what's about to happen with Mary. Mary gets all of this, and I love the, the, the most recent movie about the nativity story. I think it's probably one of the best done movies about this whole thing about Joseph and Mary. Because at some point, Joseph had to be convinced by the Lord that Mary had not been unfaithful to the engagement. And it was more than an engagement. It was, she was actually a spouse, and that word meant that they had already agreed that she would marry Joseph. It was set in stone. It just depended on Joseph's timetable when he got ready for living quarters to be ready to marry her. It was during that time of that engagement that she becomes pregnant with the Son of God, and it, it's the Lord that appears to him in a dream telling him that Mary has not been unfaithful to that covenant. She's going to have the Messiah, and you're to name him Jesus, Yeshua, meaning the Lord is salvation. So here she is. She heads off to, to Elizabeth, but this is what the angel Gabriel tells her in verse 36. Just a couple more things we're going to read. And he says, Behold, your cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived the son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the hand, this is a 15-year-old girl now, remember this. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. You got to love this, that Gabriel tells Mary how this is going to work, and he references a miracle down in Judea with her cousin. Now, we don't know if she's heard about the news of Elizabeth, because we do know this, that Elizabeth is in hiding. She's an old lady, and she's pregnant, and she's staying at home, which old people who get pregnant tend to want to do that. Because my mom was a grandmother when she got pregnant with her sixth child, Becky. My oldest sister already had her first child, Daryl. And while mom was pregnant with Becky, my sister Be Brenda got pregnant with her second child, Tina. So there was grandma and daughter pregnant at the same time. And mother had trouble letting people know that she was pregnant. Bless her heart. Oh, they will know what we've been doing. That's, that's like, yeah, that's how children happen, you know. She was so embarrassed she got pregnant. And I think Elizabeth's like, oh, here I am. A, I'm old enough to be a grandma, and I'm pregnant. I'm just going to, she was in hiding. And it was Mary that went to her, and they had this explosion of prophecy that takes place. But why would the why would Gabriel in the conversation with Mary referencing her cousin? 
is because he said, listen, if you think this is something, the miracles are already happening. They've already happened down in Judea. Your cousin is pregnant, and she's now at the end of her second trimester. She's about to start her third trimester. She's very pregnant at this point. And she says, be it unto me as you say. If she's pregnant, great. I'm, I'm right there with her. Isn't that interesting? But verse 37, the reason I, I wanted the King James is that this is one of the times that the translation of the King James is not really very good with verse 37. Because the word nothing is translated from the Greek word rhema. Anybody know what rhema means? It's a spoken word. It's the word used in Romans 10. Like the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth. That is the word of faith which we preach. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema of God. So you see that the translation here is really not the best translation. If you have an NIV, it's going to say something totally different, that no word of God will ever fail. In other words, he was telling her that the word that was given to Elizabeth did not fail. She's pregnant, and the word given to you will not fail. You will be pregnant. This is what Gabriel is saying, that no word from God will ever fail. Now, I want to tell you, that promise was to Elizabeth, that promise was to Mary, but that promise is also to you. The word of the Lord that comes to you through this book will not fail you. It will never fail you. And this is why he finished up with this exclamation mark is that this is going to happen because it's already happening down in Judea. Mary declares later when visiting her cousin, all generations are going to call me blessed. This was not anticipation of Mary becoming elevated in any way. This was her saying, in essence, if, if God can do this with me, just think what he can do with you. I'm just an insignificant teenager in an insignificant, not even insignificant, but a town that had a bad reputation. And here I am, God has chosen me. I want to tell you something. They knew Mary's name, but he also knows your name. He knows everything about you. He knows your weakness. He knows your strengths. He knows your personality. He knows your tendencies. He knows things about you that you don't even know. And he looks to you with his favor, especially if you knelt at the cross and said, what you did there, I want it to be for me to wash sin out of my life, to bring me into a newness of life, to regenerate me like he told Nicodemus. Says, Nicodemus, it doesn't matter what you know about the Torah and the Old Testament, and how much you've been in this tradition, you still have to be born again, sir. And the exact, the exact wording there in John 3 is that you've got to be born from above, not an, just an earthly birth. 
You've got to be born from above. You've got to have a birth that originates out of heaven, just like Gabriel came from heaven to earth to give them these messages. And in heaven's descent into the womb of Mary, Jesus came to rescue all of us. Isn't that neat? She was at the cross just like everyone else, believing on him in the upper room, showing that everybody has to come through Christ. Jesus didn't say, I am a way. He said, I am the way. He said, I'm the only door in. There's no other door in. And if anybody tries to come a different way, he said, they're like a thief or a robber. He said, I am the only way. I am the only one that you can come to the Father by. And nobody comes in any way, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he kind of amplifies it by saying, no one comes to the Father but by me. You know, we, we're probably accused of being exclusive in our faith, but we're just following his lead. He's the one that made it exclusive. It was his words that said, no one comes to the Father. Do you know him? There is no other way, Andrew, is there? It's the only way. It doesn't make sense to try any other way. Would, would you stand? Would you stand with me? Now, Andrew. I, <laughs> Andrew's going to preach the second sermon here. I want our praise team to come back up. <coughs> well, as as Josh spoke on our as Josh was preaching a couple weeks ago for, for our missions emphasis, he was really saying that we all are on a mission. We're all servants wherever we go. We are all preachers, really. We're epistles, not written on parchment, but in real life, we're all messengers. Lord, I pray this morning, there's so much commercialism around this. There's so many neat things about families getting together and presents being opened and expectations, but help us not to let that override the truth of this. The greatest gift ever wrapped up in a package came in that 15-year-old girl. The son of the living God descending into the darkness of her womb, bringing life and light to our dark world. Not only at his birth, but through his childhood and years. Your favor, Father, was on the Son of God preparing him at every moment when John would announce his arrival not a baby born in Bethlehem but the Messiah himself has arrived on the scene to break the power of sin to break darkness to break bondages to heal blinded eyes restore brokenness in people Lord all of us in this room 
have some kind of marring of our lives. Sin, sin leaves scar tissue in some ways. It's only when we stop and kneel and surrender ourselves to you that you can surgically repair us, repair our souls. Would we this morning, Lord, all of us in this room, say to you afresh and anew, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I surrender my soul to you. I surrender who I am to you. That not only today, but today moving forward, I want you to have total control of me. Can you say that to him right where you're standing? Lord, I surrender myself to you. This story is not a fairy tale. This is real. It's true. You came as a miracle, Mary's miracle. And her miracle has become our miracle because the one that was inside of her now in a way lives inside of us through his resurrection. To put inside of us life and light and understanding and freedom. Not to live life in an ordinary way, but to be extraordinary through you, Lord. Forgive us for battering ourselves so much, for downing ourselves when you, you looked at us with favor and you pronounced that we can accomplish much for you if we let you have your way in us. However you need to do this morning to say, Lord, forgive me for, for negating the possibilities that you have in my life. God, when you were born, God saw you with all the potential that he could use in his hands if you let him have your life, if you let him have your mind, and stop reasoning within yourself. She reasoned in herself how all this could be because it was overwhelming her. And maybe you've been, you've kind of been blocked at your own reason. You just don't see how God can do it, how God can use your life. You of all people, by the very thought of those words, it runs counterproductive to what he says to you. You're the object of his favor. You're the object of his power. So right where you're standing, could you just lift your hands? If not lift your hands, lift your soul to him and say, Lord, I offer you myself. At this age that I'm at, only you know what I can accomplish. But I want to give it my best for you. This Christmas, 2019, heading into 2020, I want next year to be filled with the prospects of what you can do in my life. Come and see what God can do. Not just what you have done, Lord, but we want to be able to say, Lord, I want people to see what you can do in a surrendered vessel with no conditions whatsoever and no negations depending on my own failures and my own limitations. I believe God is speaking to you because he wants you to know truth. He wants you to know the reality of his power and his purpose for you. Lord, I surrender.
I surrender myself to you. We're going to have just a, a time of worship here to close the service out. But I just encourage you. Let all of this be a time of surrender.